Well, I think uh, Mando just really brought it home to us. But I think when we look at this passage, we ask ourselves, where has been a time where you have been faithful? You have gone and just heads over heels just to be faithful, only to be met with great disappointments, and then having to just go on a detour. And how do we respond to that when we come uh, to those points? Well, we're going to dive right in um, into Acts 18, 5 through 11. We're going to talk a little bit about how Paul, who we typically see as a very um, powerful apostle, dealt deeply with discouragements and disappointments. And even he, I don't, I don't think we can argue that he was a man that was so faithful. But what about those times in which we're just driving in, we're faithful of planting our flag, and we're going, and all of, all of a sudden, all we are met with is disappointment. Let's get into God's Word. 18, Acts chapter 18, 5 through 6. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own hands. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And I just want to say, first and foremost, just because you are being faithful doesn't mean that you will not get discouraged. Can I hear an amen to that? Mm-hmm. All right. Come on now. All right. I'm getting some amens in here. All right. The rain hasn't soaked our ears. That's good. We're listening to the Lord today. Praise God. Um, and so... I just want to say that off the bat, our Christian lives doesn't mean that we are going to be all good and all good and good and well and cruising along. We're going to be floating around and hitting some major, major disappointments. We see this coming right at the crux of this with Paul. At this point, Timothy and Silas—he's been away from community. Can you imagine? Probably for some of you who have been spent a long time overseas, they've been—he's been without friendships and community in the body for all this time, and yet he was just plugging away. And when, Paul, when Silas and Timothy came, man, his, that report just must have been just like water into his soul. They brought this good news that what happened was that God had provided for them financially. The gift of money was given from the congregation of Philippi to, uh, to fund his missionary journeys and also uh, to build them up and to, to give to Jerusalem for the saints. And so his heart was just leaping in joy. And then Silas and, and Timothy, just their presence there must have been so encouraging. But then he brought a report saying that this from Thessalonica, that um, there was a good report saying that the church at Thessalonica had been growing and was moving. God was doing some amazing things there. And that must have encouraged him because the last time he was in Thessalonica, things were not looking very privy. Things were happening in which the Jewish leaders were jealous. And then the Jewish leaders got jealous. They united to form an attack and a mob with some wicked men. Started an uproar there and, uh, and ended up dragging out one of their very own. Jason slandering him, beating him, and demanding a security payment. And there was so much danger in that city of Thessalonica that they had to secretly get Paul and Silas out by night by the sea. Paul was separated from his brothers at that point and up to that point. But when his friends arrived 
Paul, we see Paul doing the unthinkable. Paul is just moving forward in faithfulness. And it's in this context that Paul was occupied with the word. Literally, it means that he was held to the word. The one thing that he was about was proclaiming the kingdom of God through the gospel of Jesus Christ, proclaiming that Jesus was the king and was the Messiah who had fulfilled the prophecies of old. He was the one they were waiting for. They were, he was the one that they were searching for. The word here um, is literally diamartaramai, which means to warn or to testify. It's to make a serious declaration on the basis of some presumed knowledge. Literally, it tells us that Paul had felt just an intense burden on his heart to warn them deeply of the impending judgment that was going to come if they didn't repent and turn to Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And Paul, to Paul, this was just not, this, this was not just saying, hey, I'm just going to wait for Jesus to come up <laughs> in the conversation. Paul was not waiting for uh, the next episode um, of a Christian film or something like that and waiting just to, 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 to bring, it, bring into some Christian conversations and to steer it. He was passionately committed to the gospel. And this struck him on not only an intellectual level, but a spiritual level. And this convicts me right away. I mean, when can I say that I am passionately devoted to the word of God? and to the gospel of Jesus. Can I actually honestly say to myself that I am one thing consumed with, and that is the gospel of Jesus, and making sure that I am not only sharing the gospel, but I am warning people of the death and the destruction and the lack of joy and the lack of life that comes without knowing Jesus. Am I consumed with that? Is that my one thing that I live for? And we all know in our heart of hearts what we actually live for. It's probably coming up in our minds right now. But how many of us can say that we are occupied with so much other stuff in our hearts that we do not have a desire and even a, a, an appetite for God's word and for the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, that just convicts me right away because I know that I can be so passionate about um, so many things, you know, like the Dodgers or <laughs> um, working out, um, which has, has been just a joy, but things have been just consuming my life, my kids, everything. I can be so consumed that, you know, we were just, we were just talking that it's so easy for, for a love of other things to just push out a love for Jesus and a love for the gospel. Um, just to confess, I mean, even as I was driving back from the airport today, I ran by somebody and, and, and drove by somebody, and there was somebody there washing wipers, and I would have to say that I had a coldness of heart, a hardness of heart to that person. And that reminds me that a lot of times when I'm doing that, it reminds me that I have to check my own heart of just saying, Lord Jesus, are you really my main thing? Are you really 
uh, my passion in life? Am I consumed with you and only you? And is my heart's desire not to see people in what I want to view them as, but in the view of the gospel, in the view of my Savior? And so I, I just want us to really take a moment here to really ask ourselves this. Does this look like my life? Am I occupied with the word, which in this case was testifying, proclaiming, demonstrating the word of God and that the gospel of Christ and that Jesus is the king over all of our lives and is our savior uh, and will save us from the wrath of God to come, but also who saves us right here and now. And then in this context, that's what Paul was actually occupied with. Um, I think a lot of times, maybe God is giving us a wake-up call. This is a time uh, in which you're saying, and when I think God is saying, let's go. I want to press in to everything that God has, right? I, I don't want um, the time that I was most passionate about the Lord to be sometime back in college or sometime back um, in my early 20s or my 30s. I don't want the time to be when I'm passionate for God to be a time when I was just facing just a lot of struggle and, and trial. Maybe you have the same experience in which that was the last time you were passionate about God because God had arrested your attention. But maybe God is calling us for a wake-up call and saying, look, Lord, I want you, you're my child, I love you, but I want you to go. And surrender to what all I have for you. Just like Amanda in her testimony, she said that she was so happy about this, that, um, that this, this kid grew up and then, you know, came to Christ and she gets to do Bible study. But she wanted this to even lead to bigger prayers and to bigger things, to release her, to reach others with Jesus. And this should be the cry of our hearts. God, I don't want to be overwhelmed and occupied with trivial things. I want Jesus to rule my heart and my mind and my life. I want to be literally held by the word. I want to be gripped by it. I think God is giving us a wake-up call today. And maybe this is the first time that you're hearing this. And maybe it's awakening a sense of, let's go. Let's go as a body, and let's go as a church, and let's do this together. And I hope, I think that's our heart for you, and I think that's also God's heart, his father's, our father's heart, is that he earnestly wants us to be occupied with him, because he's the only thing that satisfies. Amen. And so we see at this time where Paul was the most passionate for Jesus, that he received the most rejection. If you look at the text, the text in verse 5 says, and six, and when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, your blood be on your own hands. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And so Paul, at this point, um, he was most passionate, but now they're coming at him, lights out. They're going at him, verbally abusive. They're slandering him. They're not just saying, no, thanks. I, I don't want your Jesus like they did in Athens or they politely smiled and nodded and say, Paul, we're going to hear you again, like, like he heard in, in Athens. But they were going at him. They were destroying his character. They were calling out false things against him in public. And Paul's response results in this disappointing departure. 
He shakes out his garments, which is a sense of a reputation of his responsibility and saying that your blood be on your own heads and saying that the rejection would be on them. And from there, he went on to the Gentiles. And Paul was for sure disappointed. And I know this because of Paul's heart for his own countrymen. You can read that in Romans chapter 10, 1 through 3, and, and, and chapter 11 as well. But this devastated him that his own people did not respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And instead, he, he didn't wallow in his disappointment. Do you see that here? He didn't wallow in his disappointment. There was no break between verse uh, 6 and verse 7. He went in, and he, he just saw what God was, was calling him to do, which was to preach and focus his attention on the Gentiles. He didn't abandon all efforts to go reach the Jews. It just meant that the Jews no longer would occupy his entire ministry. And so he said, I'm going to be faithful, but God, I think you are calling me to a different direction. And so you can be faithful, but one sign that you are faithful is not that you won't encounter any deep disappointment. You may encounter deep disappointment like Paul. But don't see this as a sign to stop being faithful or trusting in our faithful God. Perhaps God is leading you to a detour. Look at verse 7. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justice, a, worship, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household, and many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. We'll stop there. So we know that being faithful can lead to disappointments, but also disappointments can lead to detours. And I love this about Paul and about the ministry of Acts and just this normal Christianity. These detours never, never led to a dead end. These detours led Paul to the spiritually hungry. Don't you love that? And Paul didn't go very far. He wasn't called to move to another state. He was not called to go relocate. All he went to is he went next door. <laughs> he went next door to the synagogue to a man named Titius Justice. And he was a worshiper for God, which means that he was a Gentile. This was completely out of Paul's scope here. But yet, this is different from his initial focus, but it is clear that there was a calling that would come to those after seeing that his own people were spiritually closed off. And I think you'll meet people who are so adamant about not believing and, and talking even about Jesus. I know people like that, that they cannot even utter the name of God without them completely turning off. I've, I've been there. And, and, and those are the times where I, I just want to wallow in disappointment and struggle and, and, and rejection because I just feel in my, I have not done enough or that I failed at talking or I've done something wrong to, to, to herald that or, or that I cannot convince them. It makes me feel just weighed down. Have you ever felt that before? Well, those are times in which we can trust in the faithfulness of God, we can pray. There's sometimes nothing we can do, and that's a good thing because that's when God opens the door and he moves. Only God can awaken dead hearts to the gospel, hearts that have, won't have anything to do with them, and only he is the one to refresh them, regenerate them, and then to illuminate the scriptures to them before our very eyes, and then they start pursuing Jesus and they start going after him. And so there are some times in which we're called to, to, move, to move forward 
never to stop praying for them, never to stop loving them, keep the relationship going with them. But in, sometimes in Paul's case, God just wants you to shift gears. He may call you to detour in your efforts that one person where God is just sovereignly in charge of that person's life. It actually takes a lot of humility, like Amanda, you were speaking about, is that, you know, you felt a lot of guilt and shame, and then yet, over time, you were not the last person, obviously, for, uh, for, for them to share the gospel with that, uh, that really, really awesome um, girl that you're, you've been ministering to. And that takes a lot of humility, right? That we're not the last people that God is going to sovereignly put into their road. And there is another way. And that way was Atticia's justice. And Atticia's justice became the location for the first house church that met in that city. Um, if you look at Romans 16, 23, it also refers to a Gaius, uh, a man by a different name. Some people think that is the same person. But this Gaius who is host to me and to the whole church greets you. And so people think that because he showed hospitality to the entire um, church at Corinth that this might be the same person. Um, regardless if it is the same person, we think we're not too sure. But we know that there is wealthy people. There are people who became housing that fledging new church plant and started supporting it and started building it up. But just think about that. If Paul had doubled down on his efforts on the synagogue, he completely missed out on Titius Justice conversion. And it was through this Gentile conversion that surprisingly that led to the breakthrough of the Jewish conversions. We see here in the text that the, that the uh, leader of the synagogue, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians hearing Paul believed and were baptized. <laughs> Don't you love God's faithfulness? We are simply called to be faithful and God does the work through us. And it was just through this. Crispus became somebody who was mentioned everywhere. If you look in Corinthians chapter 1, verse 14 and 16, he was among the first people that were baptized in verses 14 and 16. And then as a result, many of the Corinthians believed in the Lord and were baptized. And so surprisingly, the, the breakthrough that Paul was praying for and yearning for came through a disappointment and a sharp detour. What was potentially life-giving became or life-draining became life-giving. But he didn't, he didn't wallow in his disappointment. He went down that detour, and it took him to the spiritually hungry, and God moved. I think sometimes we live in a very time-oriented type of culture, which I think sometimes we can get so locked into our schedules. Uh, but hear me out for a second. I think while we do need to be careful and considerate of people's times, um, especially when it comes to workplaces or things like that. We're witnesses by what we do. I remember uh, Grant was saying something about how um, it's our intention, our intent, how we are living, that people are looking and watching us. And that God didn't mean us to be faithful too, <laughs> right? Sometimes I think we can be so diligent in doing something that God really doesn't want us to do. He wants to invite us into something more, and that is just to be broken away from being tied down to our schedule. And I find it really hard because you might be saying, well, if I do that, how am I going to get anything done, right? We need to be diligent in what we need to do, but also we need to be diligent in hearing the Lord's voice and be flexible to follow 
whenever God leads us through a path of disappointment and also to um, a detour. Um, a while back, I was overwhelmed by the, just the pressing needs uh, of to-dos on my list, and it was getting to be closer to the end of the week, and, and I was preaching a sermon, <laughs> incidentally, on doubt. And, um, and so I was doubting the fact that I could get everything done and that also that everything, that God wanted to speak through me. And at that very exact second, I got this voicemail on our church's number of someone who was struggling with doubt um, and not wanting to talk, and, want, and not wanting to talk, but wanting to talk to a pastor. <laughs> and it wasn't anybody here. It was just somebody who had seen us um, and our website and wanted to contact us. But I was really ashamed to admit because I think my first response was doubt. <laughs> like, do I have time for this? Is this even something I should be pursuing? And I kind of, I just kind of fought with the Lord, if you know what I mean, just kind of fighting with God of just saying like, okay, what, what do you want me to do? Do you really want me to do this? And then I think the Lord was just saying, go and do it. Everything's going to be okay. So I called him. So it turned out the brother worked right around the corner and um, from our location, and he was just so vulnerable. He just started sharing all these doubts and his struggles from his past and his family. And, um, and the Lord was just able to speak to that doubt, and we prayed together. And as I just shared about how hope is all about that, all about saying that we're a mess, you're a mess, and we can be this mess together because we're all uh, redeemed and blood-bought by Jesus, and we're walking in this, and we're walking to whatever God has for us together. And um, he was so encouraged by that. He was so refreshed. And his last message was, I just wanted to let you know that God answered my prayers for his situation. I'm feeling so much better. Um, I got a job, and I'm continuing to grow in it. And, man, it's just been unbelievable how much God's presence has helped me since we spoke. And, you know, I'm ashamed because I think my first response to that was doubts. But God wanted to deliver my doubts through delivering somebody else from their doubts and invite me into just a relationship, um, a relationship in which he wanted to not only reaffirm this person's love or God's love for him, but also I think God wanted to personally reaffirm his love for me in a powerful way. And I just wonder how many times do we go through these days of Missing out on what God's, um, his callback, his voicemails of love for us, that he wants to speak into us. So we are faithful, we go through disappointments, and then yet our disappointments lead us to detours. Lastly, detours bring us deeper. Let's look in verse 9 through 11. And the Lord said to, uh, let, said to Paul one night in a vision, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed there a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. Detours bring us deeper, do they? But despite all these victories, despite who Paul was, we have to really admit here that Paul was fearful. Why, after all that he has been through, is he still struggling? Well, I think he was struggling through some kind of, you know, very, maybe something similar to PTSD or post-traumatic stress disorder. He was just rejected and discouraged from his rejection from his kinsmen. He also had fresh on his memory, the, the, the memory at Antioch um, 
in Pisidian Antioch, which had gone exactly the same way. He would go into the Jews, persuade them that Jesus was the Christ. They got jealous. They reviled. They contradicted him. That's when he went to the Gentiles, and then he shook out his feet, and he was forced to leave. And then he went to Lystra, where Paul was stoned and dragged out of the city. Yet we are told, you know, miraculously, when the disciples gathered about him, that he rose up like nothing had ever Yet the scars were there, and he's probably thinking to himself, oh no, this is going to happen again. And yet Paul was about to pack up, and yet one thing that stopped him is that the Lord spoke in a vision one night to comfort Paul, promising his presence, his protection, that no one would physically harm him, and that many in his city are his people. The word here, Lord, is really a reminder that this was an encounter not just with God, the Father himself, but with Jesus. Because usually when we see Lord in Acts, it refers to Jesus. And Paul spoke to Jesus and his conversion. And in the previous verse 8, the Lord refers to Jesus as well. But I love this because when God's people, you are discouraged, when you are at the end of your rope, God does not delegate pastoral care. He doesn't say, I'm going to give this to a committee. I'm going to give this to a book. I'm going to give this to a conference. Jesus himself stands in the gap, and he says to you, I am with you. I love you. And no physical harm in this situation will come against you. Jesus himself always comes and stands by us. You remember when Paul was deserted on his first missionary trip and then at his defense, he said that everyone deserted him. Demas um, had deserted him for the love of money. Uh, Alexander the coppersmith had, had, had done him great harm. But he said this in 1 Timothy 4, 17, and I hold on to it. And I want to encourage those of you to hold on to this. And the Lord Jesus himself strengthened me and stood by me. Today, are you struggling with doubts because you've been faithful, but God has brought you through a detour and you are doubting his love for you? I want to encourage you that God has not left you. He does not delegate pastoral care. He is there, right there with you. And he's saying to you, I stand with you. I love you. And you are my body. You are my people. And I love the fact that also that what happened out of this is that God didn't promise, again, a happy life. He didn't promise no difficulty, no trials. God just said, I'm not going to let anybody harm you. And we see actually that in the next verse where God protected Paul physically from harm. Then lastly, I love this too, is the last thing that the Lord said, the Lord Jesus said that, for I have many in this city that are my people. I love the fact that God has not sent us anywhere where he's not been first. That he has not prepared the hearts and the souls and the psyches of the people that God has called us to go to. He stood by us. He will protect us. But also, he is going before us. And he has prepared a people in this city and in your lives, in your neighborhoods. And he has prepared them so that you may go and share the gospel with them. And I love that because after this, Paul, his life changed. His whole matter of ministry changed after this. Before he was an itinerant preacher, he'd go out a few months, a few days here and there. But after this, he spent, it's like his whole, it was a turning point for him. 
and he went to Ephesus. He stayed there for two years. Then he got imprisoned for another two years in Antioch, or uh, yeah, and then he was imprisoned in Rome. And from there, though, it's almost like he was going to plant the flag, and he said, I'm going to dig down roots, and I'm going to preach, and I'm going to go in depth, and I'm going to go into the scriptures, and I'm going to go deep with this people because God is preparing them for something grand and great. Out of that, there was a church plant that was founded in Corinth. Um, this is the Vegas of, of their time. To Corinthianize was actually to mean uh, to, 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 to just let people go and their sexual immorality. And so, but yet God led faithful um, Paul to be faithful to him and plant church there. And God took him deeper with him. I don't know about what God has for us, Hope Church, but I believe that God has, number one, he wants to remind us that you are loved. You are so deeply loved. And that just as Jake was and me, uh, he was just reminding me that we're a family and that we're called to be together. We're called to go at this because this is what God wants for us. This is his heart. This is his hope and that we're not alone in on this season. But God is encouraging us to go into the season of risk-taking, but it's risk-taking with the Father loving us and going with us and inviting us to something more. And so I want to encourage us and remind us that the Lord is still speaking today. Maybe you're going through some disappointments and struggles, but God has many in this city, including you, that he's prepared, that he's speaking to. Whatever your disappointment is, whatever your struggle you're going through today, he loves you, and you have this Hope Church family to run together. Amen. I want to invite the, the, the prayer team to come forward and um, I'd just like us to just uh, stand where you are. I'll have the prayer team to come forward like we always do. We just want to encourage one man pray with one man and one woman pray with another woman um, or any other combination. And so we just uh, want to lift this time to the Lord. Once you close your eyes and as you are thinking through this, ask yourself, Lord, what areas of disappointment have I been refusing to see as a holy detour? And confess those things to the Lord. And secondly, maybe the Lord is leading you on a detour and God's putting somebody in your path that is spiritually hungry and needs the Lord and needs you, needs you to speak into that. Maybe you can come up here and pray for that person. Pray that the Lord would do some amazing things there. And lastly, but probably deepest in my heart, is that I think there's someone here that needs a word of encouragement, a word, a prophetic word, or maybe even dreaming a dream tonight, or a vision, or just something from the Lord, and saying that I, that everything is good. Everything is good because not everything is good in my life, but because I am a daughter or a son of the King. And God just wants to just overwhelm me with His love today. That's you. I'm just willing to pray. You come quickly for prayer and that you be encouraged by the living King. He's speaking into you. He's speaking to you just like He spoke to Paul that one night in the vision, who dealt with fear and doubt and disappointment, but yet spent the next two, one and a half years being faithful to what God had planned. Father, thank you so much that you are a God who is faithful, 
God who loves us. And a God who sent your son, Jesus. You did not delegate um, the gospel, but you sent yourself. You sent your own son to die for us as a redeeming sacrifice for us sinners. Because you went through all the detours. You went through all the disappointments. You went through all the struggles, oh Lord. But you are the only one who is faithful. You are the only one who faithfully took upon our sin and our struggles and our shame. And you hung there on the cross and you received that all for us. And now, Lord, you are lifted up in heaven. And you are reigning and, and will reign as a glorious king. And you have devastated sin and Satan and the grave. And God, you are the all faithful one that is with us and invites us to this new season. So thank you, Father, for what you're gonna do in us and what you're gonna do at Hope Church. We love you, Father, and we pray that you be here in this time when you move in power.